Happy Father's Day, Thrive. Happy Father's Day. Who enjoyed worship this morning? Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Worship team, you did an awesome job. And there's so much truth in the songs that they were singing this morning. I'm no longer a slave to fear because grace holds that ground. Because I am a child of God. Galatians 4 6 says, And because you are sons, let that soak in. And because you are sons, God, our Father, sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. What's His name? right what's his name he's your savior he's your redeemer he's your healer he is your deliverer he is your soon coming king he is the one that makes a way when there seems to be no way He's the one who sustains you. He is the one that keeps you, that protects you, that sees you through trials, that sees you through tribulations. He is. Who's his name? What's his name? Who is he? Who is he to you? He is Abba, Father. Your heavenly Father, the Father the ultimate father, the one that ha that knows everything that you have need of, even before you ask it or even before you think it, he knows. And Lord, we just praise you and we worship you. And Lord, we adore you and we magnify you because of who you are. You are Abba, Father. You are holy, 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 who was, who is, and who is to come. On earth as it is in heaven, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good work. Good. Happy Father's Day, everyone that is a father. <laughs> Good to see you. All right, Chad, you're mixing me up. I'm looking for you over there and like... Yeah, I was, I, you know, I take, I take a mental role, and so everybody should be in their seats, but it's good. You know, there's no assigned seats here, by the way. You know, it's like uh, someone ever runs you out of a seat, let me just, let me know who that is. I'll help them out the door, and that way, <laughs> that way they, we don't know, we're just not a religious house of uh, that. We're, you know, we're here to serve and love one another and build one another up. In fact, I'd give you my seat. So, hey, we had a great night. For those of you who made it, man, men, you made men's night a great night. Those of you who missed it, you missed a great night. But we'll do it again. Don't worry. It was great just seeing what guys engaged and, and building relationships with one another. And even 
even the, the challenge of personal discipleship and then what we're going to grow into that with in the fall with man up groups. And so uh, getting men activated and getting men uh, discipled and connected, it is a time and season that is very important right now. And so just something that's been stolen from the church, let me tell you, uh, really, you know what the effects was? You know where that happened? It was World War II, World War I and World War II. When, when men would go out to war, it was, it was only the women left to serve the church and lead the church. And so there's, there's been a, a shift since then. And so it's kind of that situation where men really never got back into activating, serving, leading the church on that capacity as they were before. Because we're warriors, we're soldiers, we think we should be out, but the war is really a spiritual war. And it's a spiritual war to keep men from being all God created them to be, give us to be. And that's the biggest spiritual battle that we fight in our time. So be ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to uh, move forward a lot of discipleship with you guys in the fall. But I, I challenged some guys that were there. We had about 35 guys at the men's night. I challenged them. About 20 guys just took on the challenge. I had 20 books, personal discipleship books called the Purple Book, and they, they took it. They, they, they went with it. They ran with it. They, they, they said, I want, I want to know more. And I was really encouraged by that to see that men actually want to be discipled, to disciple, and to be leaders in their own homes. And so I was encouraged by that. Hey, uh, I want an announcement July 4th. We're just going to have one worship experience at 10 a.m., both services together and one service, one time, 10 a.m. I know some will likely be out of town. It's that weekend. I don't want anybody to be hungover. But we're going to worship together one service at 10 a.m. on July 4th only. On July 4th only, one service. But we have some other stuff happening in that same weekend. So you'll see when you're here. It's going to be really cool. Uh, this next week, uh, the week following Sunday, Je June 27th through 30th, I want, to, I want to encourage you, ask you to fast with me as a corporate fast. And it's going to be a unique fast. And next Sunday, I'll explain a little bit more about that. Uh, it's, it's, we're going to capitalize on this freedom moment, this celebration of freedom, because what we're going to be leaning into is spiritual freedom for the church, unity in the church, the big C church in general. And so everything starts with an action. It's, it's like a planting of a seed. How many know that you don't get to eat the fruit of the tree the same day you plant the seed, seed of the tree? But when we start at the action we're trusting God that he is going to bring the response and bring the, 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 fr the fruit of that action, that seed in his time. And so I want to encourage you to join me with that. Uh, today, before fathers, before you leave on your way out, we have a gift for you. Don't forget it. We have a, we have a gift for you. We have a hat of two different styles for you. If you're here and you're a father, it's for you. It's not for your father who is not here. It's not for a father that you know. It's not for the husband, your baby daddy, who's not here. It's for fathers who are here, current, present, today. And so if you're asking for your father who's not here, couldn't make it, or you really want to give your father a gift, give your father a gift. But it's not going to be from here. And that, <laughs> the answer is no. So can you have an extra one? No. No. 
not because I'm not generous, it's because bring them to church. There's more than one gift in church. But I also want to tell you no, because maybe my, my, my GO team member may not be able to say no. And so I told him, don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of the no for you. Everybody good? Got a gift for you, if you're a father. Not because you want to be a father. <laughs> no. For fathers. All right. So week one, we're in our, we're in our series, uh, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And so we've, we've been plowing through this. We're in week three, and we talked about the manifest presence of God in week one. The manifest presence of God. I mean, we talked about the omnipresence, where God's spirit surrounds the globe. And then we talked about God's manifest presence, meaning whenever we begin to worship God, when we begin to praise God, that's our bathroom break people right there. Anybody else need to take a bathroom break before we get started? I know it's been 20 minutes since you went, we're out there. If anybody wants to go ahead, go ahead and go. <laughs> whenever he comes back in, just look back at him and make him feel awkward for going out. All right, so... <laughs> I love to be able to put that in every once in a while. So we, we talked about when we worship God, when we praise God, when we act, we begin to, enact, an in, in to initiate rather an act of worship, an act of faith. Then God shows up. He reveals himself actually because he's omnipresent. He reveals himself in a manifest way, which means manifest just means to make known, to, to make it known or to reveal it. Some of you have manifested in another way. Let somebody cross you in a red light and you manifest, you know, like what's inside comes out and may cause some hand gestures to come up. Whatever it is, you manifest. And so God manifests his presence. You're probably in worship and you sense God's presence. Like I felt God's presence today. Well, that's because we were worshiping and we're in scripture says that he is enthroned in our praises. Isn't that beautiful? So as we worship him, he reveals himself, and whenever he reveals himself, he then begins to minister to us. And so we talked about that last week, or two weeks ago. We talked about last week how God had created Lucifer as a worship leader, an archangel, one of the three archangels, Gabriel and Michael being the other two. Lucifer created in heaven to be a worship leader for God, created with, Scripture says, that he had prepared instruments for Lucifer when he would be created. And so Lucifer wanted to merchandise, is what Scripture says, meaning take some of the worship and keep it for himself and give the rest to God. Well, Lucifer really wanted to be, Satan wanted to be higher, exalted higher than God. Well, the moment that was found out in his heart, that's when he was sent to earth. So we talked about that. But then God had created mankind out of the dust of the earth he saw he made mankind very specific there made mankind out of the dust of the earth and he says that's going to be my worship leader and so he created us he, he made us rather with percussion which is the same thing that's where drums come out of is oh we can make something else we're tambourines there will not be a tambourine in here, by the way, but you have tambourines, <laughs> and you have, we have vocal cords, strings, stringed instruments. John was just rocking the bass. You have stringed instruments, vocal cords, and, and then there's piped instruments. When you sing, whenever there's a, a, a sound, there's wind coming through, it shakes the strings, the vocal cords, and it makes, for some, a beautiful sound. For some, just a joyful sound. I'm on the joyful side. And some of you join me. 
but we're, we are made, we are his instruments to bring worship unto him. That's why we we're created. And so now we're talking about this week, his desire. It's what's his desire. There it is. His desire. So if God, who is, is self-sustaining, he is all-sufficient, and he's all-knowing, omniscient, if he had a desire, what would that be? What would his desire be? And today's Father's Day, so I'm going to try to, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it to you, the, the bottom line on this thing. You know, there's, there's two, two types of people. There's the, the beat around the bush guy, and then there's the bottom line guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, a bottom line guy. I like to know that when I talk to you, there is a bottom line. I want to know that we're going somewhere, that this thing is going to end, and you're going to finally give me the bottom line. If you don't know which one you are, you're probably a beat around the bush guy. But I'm going to give you the bottom line today. And so with that, number one, God made me from him or out of him. I am made from God. I am made out of God. Now follow me on this. When God made things, in the beginning, he spoke to things he created, and then he made things from things previously created. I'm going to break this down. I'm going to go over it a few times. A step further. So when God made things, he had spoke to what he had previously created, and he said, make this, draw forth this. And from the thing he had previously created, he made something else so that it would be made from that thing. It would be sustained from that, by that thing, and one day it would go back to that thing. So made things come from created things. And there are things that God created, and there are things that God made. And theologically, when you create something, you form it from nothing. There was nothing that existed. There was nothing that it came from. When God spoke, he decided to create it, because God can do that. And then there's other things that God would then speak and talk to the created things, and he would make it make something else. Let me show you. Maybe I can give you something, a little illustration first. So let's say you're a woodworker, metalworker, or you like to play with pottery. In this case, a woodworker. So let's, let's say I came over and, and you said, man, look at this thing I created. No, you didn't create that. You made that because it was made of something that was already created. You got the creativity from the creator, which helped you make it, but you didn't create it. And so God creates, then he makes things. When God made things, he made things from what he had already created. He spoke to whatever it was, whatever he was created, he made something from it so that that thing would be sustained by what it was created, from what it was created, and one day it would go back to what it was created. It would return. Look at this in Genesis 1.11. Then God said, let the earth, which he had already created, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that, that yields seed, the fruit tree, and that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. So he spoke to the earth, the thing he had created. Remember, in the beginning, he created heavens and earth. And then he spoke to it, and he said, bring forth grass. So he made grass, vegetation, fruits and plants, trees from the earth. All right, there's one example. 
Why, he did not say, let there be trees. He said, earth, bring forth trees. Why? Because he wanted them to come from the earth, to be sustained by the earth, and they will one day die and return to the earth. You tracking with me? All right. In Genesis 1.20, this is extremely important for us to know so that we understand what he desires and why. Genesis 1.20, then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. So living creatures developed out of the waters. Genesis 1.24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures. And so animals were, came from or made from the dirt. They're sustained by the dirt. Remember what is in the dirt. There's plants, there's vegetation, there's trees made by the dirt, sustained by the dirt, and one day will return to the dirt. Here's why this is important for you to know. When God made man, he spoke to himself. If you're following the pattern, this is really important. Because God spoke to himself. He, he said, let us make man in our image. He's, we are made from him. We are to be sustained by him because one day we're going to return to him. You may say, oh, no, no, no. I'm pretty sure that God made Adam out of the earth. Well, let's look at this in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Well, didn't he make, him, didn't he make us out of the earth? No. God took Adam from the dust of the ground, and he made our bodies. He made Adam's body from the earth to be sustained by the earth, the body. And then one day we'll go back to the earth. All of us will. But our spirit, God made from himself to be sustained by himself because one day would return to himself. Our body sustained from the earth, but our spirit can only be sustained by God himself. My body is sustained by dirt, by fruits, by vegetables, by tree, by things in the tree, by ice cream. Think about it. Think about it. Ice cream, where does this start? It's in a field. Cows eat it. They chew, they ruminate on it, they swallow it, they spit it up again in their mouth, they chew it again, they, they send it into their second stomach, somebody comes along and milks the cow, right? It's processed, it's salad, it's salad being processed, and then somebody else processes the milk and makes some bluebell cookies and cream. So what do you, I'm at lunch eating ice cream, what are you doing? I'm eating salad. Cookies and cream, baby, bluebell. I'm sustained on bluebell. What would happen, though, if the tree told the earth, hey, I'm pulling out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm good. That's what Adam and Eve did when they chose disobedience in the garden. Said, oh, I'm going to do it my way. I'm pulling out. I'm going to figure out how to sustain myself. And you may say, well, 
well, didn't God say something about that they would die, but they didn't die whenever this would happen? Whenever they cho chose disobedience in the garden, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. And there was a spiritual death that took place that created a tidal wave for generations to come. Ephesians 2.1, let's look at this. And you, he, talking about Jesus, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So they were dead. We're born dead in spirit. Isn't that sad? Isn't that tough to grasp? Isn't that hard to understand? So we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're dead in and of ourselves, our carnality, because of things that took place in the garden whenever Adam and Eve chose disobedience, chose to pull out. No, God, I'm good. I'm going to do it my way. Remember, what, remember, how, remember how Satan teased them the same, with his same temptation? You can be just like God. And they took the bait and died spiritually. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. Finally, through Jesus, there's an opportunity for life. And not only that, that they may have it more abundantly. And sadly, it's good that many find life, but sadly, many believers are not living the life more abundantly. And that's where freedom comes in. That's why we're, that's why we're on it, going on this path of freedom and it comes through worship and it comes through the manifest presence of God and experiencing Him. And when He enters in, He begins to change things that we didn't even know needed changed in here. And all of a sudden, the abundance of life begins to bear fruit in our lives. Number two, God made me like him, similar to him. If God has a desire, then what is that desire? God made Adam just like himself. And when and what we're about to read, you need to understand the platform of this is no sin had been had been had been brought into the garden. There was no impure desire. There was no evil inside of Adam. There was no desire outside of the will of God in this time frame. So Adam has no impure thoughts, but God makes a replica of himself and the one God makes like himself has a desire. Okay, Genesis 2.20. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Comparable, this root word of comparable comes from companion. And all of his naming and all of his searching and all of his seeing, he didn't see anything that looked to be a companion for himself. Why did he state that? There was no one. His desire was, again, was not impure. But he realized there's something inside of me that desires something that I don't know what to connect with. It was as if he goes to God and he says, man, I love the garden. I, lo I love the views. 
but there's something longing inside of me. I have this desire, and I don't know what it is. I need help understanding. There's something, God, that's inside of me that wants to come out, and it's, 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 it's needing something, and I can't figure this thing out. I'm seeing all of this taking place, and all these animals have similar similarities that are just a little bit different in their ways, but Scripture says there was not found. It was not found. You don't, you see, you don't, you don't not find something you're not looking for, right? It's like, hey, baby, you seen my keys? No, I didn't, I didn't see them anywhere. I hadn't found them. Are you looking? No. Well, see, you're not going to find anything that you're not looking for. So it must be that Adam was looking for something comparable, a companion to be found for something inside that was longing to be met. So Adam is like, man, God, I see the giraffe. and She's got some nice legs, long, long neck. Man, way too tall for me, just not really my style. And then I, and then I gave a name to this thing called the hippopotamus. He's like, I mean, she's got an apple bottom. Probably keep me warm in the winter, but just not my style. I don't. And then he, like, he's naming all these animals. He's checking them all out. And he's like, none of them are just for me, though. And they're not comparable. He's, he gets down to so much loss of create, creativity and exhaustion. He's getting down to, he's like naming blackbird, bluebird. I mean, it takes a lot of creativity to come up with that. And finally, he falls asleep. Scripture says he falls asleep. And this is where God removes a rib from his side and creates a new animal. And so Adam wakes up from his slumber, and he, and he sees this animal that wasn't there before whenever he went to sleep. And he's like, whoa, man. In all of her glory, she's standing there. Whoa, man. And, that, and that's, what, that's what whoa man means. It means out of man. So man was made out of God, from God, and woman was made from man. This is, really, this is really good because man was made to be sustained by God. Whoa, man, out of man. How did God know that the only thing that would satisfy the desires of man would be a bride? Why didn't God make a football? Why didn't God make a rod and reel, some tackle? Why didn't God make a gun and give it to Adam? Why didn't God give Adam a remote control for the TV? Because he knew None of those things would sustain man like a bride. How did he know that? Because God has the same desires that he's given man. Because God desired a bride. All of those things are great, but they never sustain us. They're fun to do. But they're all vices that keep us from being sustained by the true one and only that has created us to be sustained by him. How did God know? 
because he has the same desire. Remember, sin had not entered in the world yet. God knew Adam's desire because he had the same desire. It was his desire that he put inside of Adam so Adam would understand what he was going through. God made you in his image. He made you with a will. He, because God has a will, his desire was that we would use our will to choose to love him. Otherwise, we'd be robots, forced, no will, forced to just love God. Could you imagine duct taping your wife to a chair and forcing her to love you? She'd be like, yeah, I love you. Let me show you how much I love you. Get me out of this chair and see how this goes down on my way to the garage for a hammer. It reminded me of a joke in the first service. <laughs> you know, you take your dog and you take your wife and you put them each in the trunk of a car, come back in an hour, see which one's happy to see you. <laughs> the dog's like this. <laughs> Don't do that, though. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. God could have made us like forced command, like robots, but he chose not to. It's not love if you have to force someone to have a response towards you. So God made us from him so that we would desire, have the same desires like him, the, the same will, a sense of will and a choice so that we would hopefully choose that we know, to know we, we're sustained by him so we would choose to love him. Number three is this. God made me to love him. I'm building on each one of these. It's my choice, but God made me to love him. It's my choice. But there's this desire that he's placed inside of me. And unmet, in every other circumstance, I am left unfulfilled. It's truly undesirable because he's made me to love him. The greatest way we express that love is through worship. This is God's love language. It's, I don't know if you've ever realized this, but you can't speak your love language to your partner or to someone else. It disconnects. It's like speaking another tongue language completely. It's like speaking Spanish to an English speaker or speaking English to a Spanish speaker. That's great for you. I'm glad you understand yourself, but I don't understand yourself. Worship expressed is a love language for God. Love must be expressed. Worship is an expression of love to our Heavenly Father. And worship can only be done God's way because it's His language and it's His desire because we're His bride. We are what He desires and an expression of love towards Him by choice, by an action of our will, is the desire of His heart. It's God's desire that we out loud and outwardly say to him, I love you. I love you. Sometimes it just feels awkward for a man or for even a woman to say, I love you out loud. I love you. Just for God to hear that, it's like a, then it's followed by an expression, an act of, of truly proving and showing What's inside of my heart is coming out, is manifesting, making itself known, revealing itself. It's like a man telling his wife that he loves her, but he never really shows anything to her to prove that he loves her. What's she going to believe? It's like when you, when you begin to express your love and your heartfelt communication with your wife, she begins to feel secure. And when she feels secure, she's opened up. 
And guess what happens then, man? You get to enjoy the fruit of that transaction. And it's the same, man. That's right. And that's what God is saying. When you begin to show your love to me, when you begin to express that same love, there's a transaction that takes place. There's an intimacy in the moment. And things begin to shift that we didn't even know that needed to be shifted inside of us. When we worship God, he manifests his presence upon us and sustains all of our needs. Can you imagine the tree not being planted in the proper soil and receiving the needs that it requires to grow healthy and strong and bear fruit in all seasons? That's the picture that Scripture is trying to give us so that we will realize where we are sustained from and how we are to be built up and strengthened and able to bear fruit in all seasons. If you tell God, I love you, you'll hear it back. I love you too. If you, hear, hear, if you say to God, I adore you, guess what? He'll say, I adore you too. If you say to God, I would die so that you could live, he would say, I did. I did. I did. So you're God's desire. He desires that you would choose to love him. And you, one primary expression of God of love for God is worship. I want to look show you some verses here at Exodus 6 7 says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. God is constantly trying to get the attention of his people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of of the Egyptians. See, so many of us are carrying burdens that we don't even have to carry. We aren't purposed to carry burdens. We're purposed to bring them in worship to our Heavenly Father in love and adoration. In the moment we do, God begins to take those burdens and handle them. Leviticus 26, 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. This is not in the Garden of Eden. I will walk among you and you shall be, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Next verse, Jeremiah 7, 23. But this is what I commanded them saying, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. 15 next verses that I could bring out. It's about I will be your God and you will be my people. He's constantly trying to convince us that, listen, if you'll just understand the will and the way of your heavenly father, I will show you, I will lift your burdens, I will, I will make the change and I will free you from the bondages of life if you'll just love me my way. But it's a choice. It's a choice. I'm going to take this one, I'm going to peel off this layer and I'm about to take this thing up just a little bit deeper for some of you. Psalms 102, 18 and 22 says, This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Interesting. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary from heaven. The Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, And I'm going to stop right there. Psalms 102, go back to that, 18. That a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Since Adam and Eve were made in the garden, 
There, have never, there has never been a human race that has been created. Yet the psalmist in 102 is looking into the future and he's prophesying in song. He's saying there will be a people yet to be created and their whole purpose is to praise the Lord. There's a day coming and I can see it in the spirit as he's playing or writing or, or, or singing song. There's a day coming that there's going to be a, a new people that are solely created to bring praise unto the Lord. Not born, but created. And the reason they will praise is because God looked down to heaven and he saw, let's go to verse 20, verse 20, to hear he saw and he heard the groaning of the prisoner. People in bondage, people needing freedom, People are struggling, hurting, in need. He looks down and he says, oh, there's a people imprisoned. I'm going to create a people that will praise me. And when they do, I'm going to set the captives free. God is saying, in the future, Old Testament, there's going to be a people that have yet to be created, who are solely created to worship the Lord. And when, I, when they begin to worship the Lord, I'm going to take their burdens. I'm going to take their problems. I'm going to take their struggles. I'm going to deal with their issues. I'm going to set them free. They will have life and life more abundantly. And all they have to do is take their focus off the problems and begin to worship me. Yes. Hallelujah. And somewhere connects, there's a connection between bound up people and people that are willing to praise and God just doing a work. This is the only time a new creation has been mentioned. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Wow. God created something new for those who are actually in Christ. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Old things have, become, have, have passed away. This I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things come with our minds, our thoughts, the old things that we used to think, the ways, the patterns of our thinking are now old. The things in our will, the way we used to make choices and why we made those decisions are now old. Mind, will, and emotions, our emotions that are hurt, that are wounded, that are, that are, that are so sensitive and easy to be stepped on, those are old things. They're gone away. You know, how, you know what this takes? Scripture says in Romans, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see that mind that has those old memories and those old lies and those old thoughts and those old challenges and those bondages that keep us from walking into life more abundantly, they're gone. It just takes require understanding by faith right here that those old things are gone and behold, new things are come. What are the new things? Everything that Christ says about us. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. He says that you may declare the praises of him. We're a whole, we're a whole new race. We're a, we're a priesthood, a holy nation. Why? To declare praises to him. The fulfillment of Psalms 102, a people yet to be created, who are created for the purpose of praising the Lord, have begun. In Christ, they're here. 
But yet, we have not begun to walk in the new things that we inhabit as being new creation. And so, the trans being transformed by the renewing of our mind, it takes faith to begin to walk in who we truly are and let go of who we are no longer. Let me tell you how important this is and why men matter so much. Why men matter so much to God, why men matter so much to society, and why men matter so much to Satan. When a mother comes to Christ, her family will join her at church only 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family joins him 93% of the time. 95% of men say they don't have male friends. Less than one-third of men in church say they have a friend. You know what Satan's trick is? To get us isolated. Isolated means separated from the pack. Because now we're easy to steal, kill, and destroy. Why do you think there's so much spiritual warfare against men coming and being activated and serving and delivering and leading in church, in community, in homes even? There are 113 million men in America over the age of 15. 69 million of these men make no profession of faith in Christ. 90 million men are not involved in any kind of discipleship. Only 6 million men are involved in discipleship. Only one out of every 18 men. The typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd that's 61% female, 39% male. This gender gap goes up. In all categories. It shows up in all categories. On any given Sunday, there are 13 million more adult women than men in American churches. It's warfare to keep men from being who God has created, called them to be, and leading within the church, within the home, within the business, within the community. This Sunday, almost 25% of married church-going women will worship without their husbands. Midweek activities often draw 70 to 80% female participants. Where are the men? The psalmist in Psalm 102 is prophesying in song about a people, a generation that have yet to be created that are purposed for praising the Lord. And in Christ, there is this new creation. We're discontent until we begin to find this understanding of who and why we've been created and the purpose of praising the Lord. Because when we begin to praise the Lord, things shift, atmospheres shift, things change. So there's a new creation. Look at Isaiah 62.10. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highways. Take the stones out. Lift up a banner for the peoples. Isaiah 60 and 18 defines what these gates are that were in 62. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Go back to 62 real quick for me. Gates, he says, are praise. Just 20, 20, 20 verses difference. 
Let Scripture define Scripture. We don't need to make up things for it. Prepare the way for your people, he says. We are gates are praise. Praise builds roads. Prepare the way. Praise begins to build roads. And what are roads? When we praise, we're building roads. We're removing obstacles for other people. When men begin to praise God because of who he is, because of out of love and worship and adoration, all of a sudden, obstacles are being moved from the path, the roadway, so that they can easily come to Christ. Others can easily come to Christ. When we begin to worship and God begins to manifest his presence, we're removing obstacles for the lost. We're removing obstacles for our families. Statistics show it. In fact, prisons are full of fatherless men. Build up the highways, he says. Build up the highways. What's a highway? It's a place of easy access. Build up the highways. In Revelations, gates in heavens are made of one, one single pearl. What is a pearl made from? Irritation. Sand gets into an oyster and it just irritates it and irritates it and irritates it and irritates it and irritates it. And, and scripture says that the gates of heaven will be one solid pearl. So in, the, so in the midst of crisis, so in the midst of trouble, so in the midst of trial, in the midst of marriage problems, in the midst of financial issues, in the midst of job loss, in the midst of just struggles, just stuff happening, irritation. When men come up and gates begin to be revealed in praises, I don't feel like it. Great, that's exactly why we should be worshiping. All of a sudden, God shows up. We're making a pathway. We're removing obstacles. We're creating easy access for our families to find the throne room of grace because we're setting the platform. We're, at, we're adoring our Heavenly Father, and gates begin to open up. Scripture says this, Lift up your head, O you gates, that the King of glory may come in. We spend so, many, so much time trying to deal with our problems, and God says, If you'll just come and worship me, come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, burdened, I'm going to give you rest. Because the moment a man is willing to raise up his hands in adoration and praise the Lord and worship him in expression of love, all of a sudden God begins to show up and God begins to take care of all these problems. Because he wants to sustain us. Because we're made from him. We're going to go back to him. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He's created us to usher in his presence through worship and adoration and love. We are a generation that until Christ was yet to be created, who has been created for the purpose of praise unto the Lord. And when we lift up holy hands, as scripture says, he will set free the prisoners.
want to ask every father to step up and stand up in this room. Because we want to pray for you. Because there's a target on the back of every father. There's a target that Satan has because he wants to keep you from walking in the fullness. If he can keep you in chaos, if he can keep you focused on the problems rather than the kingdom, if he can keep you, because men, we're, we're constantly dealing with crisis. We're constantly dealing with problems. We're constantly being brought struggles and issues and trials, whether it's from the outside world, from our kids, from our spouses, from our employer, whatever it is. Nobody will ever understand what we go through. Nobody will ever understand the things that we internalize, that we never speak about. One, because 95% of men don't have a friend. Even a third in the church don't have friends. There's a target. It's spiritual warfare. And Satan is trying all he can to keep men born of God created anew from being fully who he's created us to be. So I want to ask others around you, children or spouse or some loved one to lay their hand, lay their hand on the fathers that's nearby, nearby you. And just agree with me in prayer. If you can repeat it, if you want, that's great. Father, we thank you so much for this man of God. And we ask that you empower him to be all that you've created him to be. We just release peace. We release your authority into his life. We release supernatural understanding, a clarity to your voice. Father, we ask that you empower him with wisdom. Father, we ask that you empower him with confidence in you. We ask that you fill him up with faith anew. And right now we tear down any stronghold and work of the enemy that has come against his life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. These are world changers right here. Can I get everybody to stand up? These are world changers right here. Yeah. These are world changers right here. We can go ahead and worship. These are world changers right here. And I'm going to say it again. They're world changers. And it doesn't have to be a father. It's men in general are world changers. Men are world changers. Men are world changers. All hell, get this, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because the gates are opening up with praise unto the Father. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the gates of heaven.